Welcome to Tech Junior. Welcome to Tech Junior. My name is Lee Work. I'm a full stack JavaScript developer. I have with me Eddie. Hey, it's Eddie. I'm a full stack JavaScript developer as well. And we have <laughs> us, uh, with us today a special guest. We've got uh, Chad Bostic. If uh, you can introduce yourself, Chad. Hello, Tech Pros. This is Chad Bostic. I am a career coach at CareerDesignPatterns.com. I started as a software developer over 20 years ago and moved into IT management about uh, nine or 10 years ago. So I've got a full breadth and spectrum across being a junior developer and going through those growing pains in the early part of your career, as well as, you know, hiring and, and coaching other developers throughout their career. And I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, thanks for uh, coming on the show and agreeing to, to yeah, let us hammer you. you with questions. <laughs> awesome. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> Great. So um, we've got some of our own questions, but then uh, I, I asked around um, the community and just said like, hey, I'm I'm going to interview, you know, a career coach. So what do you, what can you guys come up with? So, um, definitely got some, some interesting stuff in here. Cool. So I think maybe we could start with the huge elephant in the room. And that is as somebody that's changing careers or just starting their career. Um, there's this catch 22 with not having experience, but then needing experience to get a job. So um, have you had any thoughts on that or, or overcome that or helped anybody with that? Yeah. When I first started my career, um, it, it, I felt the same way, right? And I think a lot of people, not just in software development, but no matter where you are in your career, when you're first starting your career, there's kind of two mindsets. There is how do I get my first experience because I don't have experience and nobody is hiring people without experience. And the other mindset is I'm going to do it anyway right? And you have to adopt that. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to be successful. You have to implement an abundance mindset in your life, in your career to get anything done, whether it's your first job or your 20th job in your career, right? You have to believe that there is stuff out there. And then you got to just put in the work, you got to hustle, you got to connect, you got to network with people. And, you know, in the beginning part of your career, maybe just take the first thing that comes along or the first best thing that comes along and not be as picky as, as you would, you know, once you've got a year to experience. But the very, very first thing is you have to have an abundance mindset. You're going to get a lot of rejections. Just know that coming up front right? You have to be able to be okay with yourself and be okay with the process. It is a process that you're going to go through to get your job. And uh, you just have to follow that process and just keep putting in the effort every single day to apply for new jobs, to connect with people either online or in person in meetup groups, uh, network, talk to coaches, talk to recruiters, talk to your friends, talk to people outside of technology, uh, talk to people just that, that have other jobs at other companies because they may be the key to get you in your first job. Wow. There's um, a lot to unpack there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so first of all, like when you say an abundance mindset, can you maybe explain yeah. that a little bit? Yeah. So um, I grew up in uh, out in the country in East Texas. And um, when, when I was a kid, the only thing that I knew was kind of the, the agricultural lifestyle, right? I grew up on a farm and my dad was a farmer and that's all we kind of knew. And then in his mid-30s, he decided that he was going to go back to college and he was going to become a lawyer. Right. Wow. And so for me wow. to kind of see a, a, a grown man decide to make a career change, a life change, um, that was pretty inspirational. I was about uh, 12 or 13 at the time. And, and you know, as a, as a teenager, it was very uh, uh, difficult to get up, up, uplifted, uprooted and kind of move across the country and, and uh, go to a new school and stuff like that. But I can't imagine it was probably way, way, way harder on him, right, to give up the the farm that he had been, you know, nurturing and, you know, literally planting seeds on for decades uh, to leave that behind and go start uh, a new journey. And so that abundance mindset kind of starts from there. It is you have to have faith in the world, faith in yourself, that there are possibilities out there. And even if you don't know what that that path is going to look like, where the result is going to take you, you still have to take those steps and just believe in yourself, believe in the process, believe that there are opportunities out there. Because I'm telling you, if you don't have that, if you say, well, nobody in my community is hiring, 
there's no jobs for junior developers that don't have at least five years of experience, right? Because I, I'm laughing because I've actually seen that on on applications, right? Is hey, yeah. uh, we're hiring junior developers, five years minimum experience. Like, dude, that's not a junior. <laughs> that's not a junior. Doesn't role. make a sense. But you know, there there are other out there are other job opportunities out there for junior devs for people with zero years of experience. Um, companies that just want. Uh, smart, talented people who are going to uh, seek out these opportunities. So you have to believe in that first. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, if you're kind of defeated before you even start, then how do you expect to land anything, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the other thing that you mentioned was uh, networking. So uh, Eddie and I participate um, and actually kind of organize uh, a meetup in Orlando called the Project Code Experience Meetup. And it's a meetup for junior developers to kind of get together and level up their skills and network and all that good stuff. And um, I was surprised from running it that we had a lot of senior developers show up. And not only that, but senior developers that are looking to hire talented junior developers. That's awesome. So I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head there that if you can get out there and be active in your community and kind of interface with, you know, developers that are already out there uh, working you know, you're, you're bound to come across an opportunity sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. And can I say like how impressed I am with you guys that I know you're just <laughs> starting your career, you're, you're junior developers yourself are kind of quickly moving from that, uh, getting your first job, getting out of boot camp, getting your first job, and then moving on throughout your career that you not only showed up at somebody else's meetup, but you took the time and initiative and effort to organize your own meetups and to build your own community around the desires that you have, right? So you you absolutely have this abundance mindset that I'm talking about. You say, there's got to be jobs out there. There's got to be people that I need to network with. I'm going to find them. I'm going to pull them in like a magnet to me. And, and that's super, super impressive. So if if you can imagine kind of a, a pyramid of, of different um, strategies uh, that I would recommend, that's right up there at the top. That's the very top is is be that community leader that is going to pull people around you and, and get you connected. If you're not ready for that, you know, some of the first steps are just connect with the people that you know, right? Your friends and your relatives, just connect with people you're comfortable with and just have really honest, open conversations with them. Hey, I'm looking for a job. Do you have any advice? Who should I talk to? This is kind of what I'm looking for, right? And be prepared to have a lot of those conversations. Then the next step on that on that pyramid is go to other meetup groups and get involved in communities in your local area, right? And and moving on up the scale, eventually building your own podcast or your YouTube series or your meetup groups or what have you. But yeah, getting connected is absolutely crucial. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um I'd certainly, ha having run a meetup, have interfaced with a lot of people and met a lot of developers, and that has led to a lot of opportunities um, for me and for some of the members. So uh, just just getting out there and, and, I mean, you don't, like you said, you don't have to start your own meetup. Like, that comes with a lot of headaches itself, but mm -hmm. I've definitely <laughs> seen people come to our meetup that are shy or a little bit anxious about meeting new people. That was going to be my question. And and they've they've run across opportunity just from showing up. So yeah, I was well, going to ask if you had any advice for someone that socially may it may be kind of hard for them to go out to meetups or to like talk to someone new or you know, something like that. Yeah, um, I, I do actually, Eddie, and thank you for that question because it's very very near and dear to my heart. Um, I have struggled with social anxiety my entire life. Um, that is something that has really held me back in my career, in my life, uh, just in general. And I, I can so empathize with the folks who are feeling that right now. They're like, yeah, I would go to a meetup, but ugh, like ugh, new people. And, you know, as soon as I walk in the room, everybody's going to be looking at me and makes my skin tingle. And then what happens if somebody walks up and says something to me and I don't know how to respond well. And I'm trying to think of something clever to say and my mouth does what it normally does and it just locks and there's like somebody put big bolts in my jaw and they don't <laughs> move anymore. They don't work. Right. Guys, I was I was so bad that that during this time when I was kind of making this transition, I, I talked about earlier, making this transition across the country to move with my family from about 13, 14 up until my mid 20s. 
I had social anxiety so bad that I couldn't even talk to family members, like extended family members. I would go to family reunions and I couldn't talk to my aunts and my uncles because I was so afraid of just opening my mouth and sharing what I thought about the world or or asking questions or connecting with people. It felt like everybody around me was complete strangers, not just strangers, but even people that I knew or knew casually or were related to. If I hadn't seen them in a couple of years or even, you know, six months or more. It was like there was something inside me that just gripped me with fear, and I could not communicate at all. So the first thing, if if anybody out there is even struggling with just 1% of that, right? Just, you know, some people get nervous when they're speaking on stage or getting nervous when they have to stand up in a room and and do that kind of awkward introduction thing where you're introducing yourself for the first time. You heard my intro, right? I heard your intro and you nailed it, man. You nailed it. Your your practice. But Eddie, I also, listen, I also heard episode one of this podcast, right? And and the transition you have had from episode one to this episode has been amazing. And it's because you're doing it. You're doing the practice. You're, You're showing up every week and you're recording these episodes and you're introducing yourself. And that's the key. It's going to take time. It's going to take time for you to get comfortable with yourself, to get comfortable with your voice, to get comfortable with meeting other people. Guys, I've been struggling this for over 20 years and I still like when as soon as, you know, Lee texted me and we're we're getting this thing together this morning, there's like butterflies in my stomach and I've, <laughs> you know, I've recorded over 270, 280 episodes of my own show now and I've been on probably a dozen or more uh, podcasts on other shows. And it's it's still, every time I, I put myself out there, I always, always have this anxiety inside of me. Um, but the, the step is, to answer your question, Eddie, you just have to go through it anyway. You have to be okay with being a little bit uncomfortable. That's the only way to grow. Yeah, yeah I, I'm always I, I uncomfortable. I can definitely resonate with that. <laughs> You're always uncomfortable, Eddie? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'll just kind of riff on that a little bit. Um, myself personally, uh, I was definitely that shy and, and super anxious person. I uh, didn't want to meet new people, didn't want to talk to strangers um, when I came out of high school. And then like going through college and then kind of working as a um, like a bartender and at a coffee shop, uh, waiter, um, and then fireman, paramedic, nurse. Uh, you kind of have to get over that really quick, <laughs> right? <laughs> so um, you're just you just kind of live in the uncomfortable uh, space, and like everybody is miserable, and you you just kind of have to like muster up the courage to just do the job anyway. So um, I mean that that was kind of a long journey of uh, ten years of kind of getting over it, or at least dealing with that feeling and just telling it to shut up, basically. But um, yeah, the the only way to make it better is to just do it. You know, like get up there and meet people, say hi. Uh, I've found that um, through a lot of years of meeting new people, like nobody has ever punched me out or <laughs> or just like <laughs> Not told, told me to leave or, or anything like that. Or if they had, like they were already angry. But uh, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> um, yeah, you just kind of have to like deal with that fear a little bit and, and kind of get through it. So, um, you know, I. I think it also applies to extroverts. Uh, from what I've been told, it sounds like all three of us are more on the introvert scale. Oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent, and then breaking the scale, setting new boundaries on the on the end of the <laughs> introvert sides of the scale. But there's some, there's probably some extrovert uh, junior developers out there listening, and and um, I I would love to hear their feedback on this topic because. Just a couple of years ago, I was talking to someone that I work with that's very much an extrovert, and they're always out there, and they're always talking to people, meeting new people, introducing me to tons of people in the community. And one day, I, I kind of shared with them my story about social anxiety, and they said, wow, Chad, uh, yeah, I never would have guessed. Uh, and then when we got into it, they were like, well, you know what? I feel the same way, and so does everybody else here you know, in this organization that, that is an extrovert. It's just that we, we process the stress differently. When you feel stress, you lock up and you don't talk to people. When I feel stress and when I feel anxious, I feel a need to talk and I can't stop myself from talking. talking. So I feel like I babble on forever and ever. And that was a really interesting perspective that made me think, wow, you know, maybe it's not just me or it's not just introverts. Maybe it's everybody feels that, that, uh, that anxiety, that stress, that pressure inside of you. And we just deal with it in different ways. 
yeah, that's it's a little hard to believe, but I I could see that um, being the case. Uh, just kind of talking about people with anxiety. There was one junior developer <clears throat> that comes to the meetup, and he had been coming for um, a few months. <clears throat> Excuse me, but uh, he had come um, maybe to like the fifth or sixth one, and was super shy, very anxious. Like his voice would tremble a little bit when he talked to you. And after we had our our talk or presentation or whatever, uh, we opened it up for lightning talks. This gentleman actually got up in front of everybody and demoed a project that he had done. Oh, I think and, I nice. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember that, Eddie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so proud of him for doing that. Um, and and you know what the reaction from everybody was? It wasn't like boo, hiss, get off the stage. It was like, wow, this is awesome. Tell me how you built it. Yeah. And he was like sitting down talking to somebody that he just met and explaining this project that he built and like basically making a new friend. So um, just overcoming that fear kind of was leading to some really good changes for him. Man, that hits me like right in the feels, you know, that is such a great story. Those transformative moments, those, those, uh, those times when you're brave and you only have to be brave. I've, I was told this by a guest on, on my show a long time ago. You only have to be brave for five seconds at a time. That's all you have to be brave. You don't have to walk around 24 seven with this big bravery attitude. You have to sit there in that moment. And when there, when there's a call to action, when there's a call for speakers, when there's a, an opportunity that knocks one, 1,000, two, 1,000. Okay, I'm doing this. And you got to stand up. And it sounds like this individual was brave in that moment. And that's awesome, man, because that's that's how you get through this. That's how you get the practice. That's how you get this experience. That's how you defeat that evil, evil person that's inside of your head that's telling you to sit down and shut up and go home and don't talk to anybody else because you're going to be a failure. That's how you defeat that evil person is you prove them wrong by getting up and doing it. Yeah, I like 100%. that. You like that? Five seconds yeah, at a yeah, time? Yeah, five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can definitely attest that Eddie has gotten a lot better um, at speaking just to me, you know, over the, <laughs> the course of a couple episodes. So. Um, baby steps. Baby yeah. steps, exactly. Yeah, very small baby steps. So changing gears a little bit, um, back to the, the career advice for people that are changing careers. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of uh, strange resumes come across. So Eddie and I worked hmm. for um, a consulting firm. And so we had to help out with hiring a lot. And we would get a lot of resumes across our desk and do a lot of interviews. And most of them were people that were, you know, just starting out or doing a career change or something. And so I was kind of curious um, what you had for advice in the way of like how you should structure a resume or how you should get that interview. Um, because we end up seeing like a lot of interesting resumes. Give me an example because I have a I have an idea in my head. I've been a hiring manager for about ten years, so I've seen a lot of interesting stuff. But maybe give us an example of something strange that you've seen that so you have a question about. Somebody reached out to me um, that went to the boot camp with me, and he was like, "Hey, man, can you take a look at my resume?" And I said, "Sure." And on this uh, fellow's resume, he had obviously worked for a lot of um, like AC companies in the past. So he was like uh, the guy on the phone whenever you would call up the AC company and then mm -hmm. he would dispatch the technician out to you. Okay. And so his experience, like his resume was, you know, his name at the top, his contact information. And then on the left side, just like three or four past work experiences that were nothing related to development. It was mm. like HVAC dispatcher, front desk person, secretary or whatever. And then on the right side, it was like, oh, by the way, I know JavaScript. So like <laughs> what, how could he have done his resume better or, cause I, I think that what people do is they build their resume out and it looks empty because they don't have any development experience. So like they try and pad it with previous stuff or maybe they just change the previous one a little bit and add development to it. So how, how do you build your resume out if you don't have experience to list on there? Yeah, it's okay to have a lot of white space first of all, right? So if you are if you are interviewing or applying for a job that truly says that they want junior developers and not that that snake oil kind of stuff where they're saying we want a junior developer with 5 to 10 years of experience, right? Now that's just people who are cheap who don't want to pay, you know, uh, a decent salary. But if you're really applying for a job that is is 
specifically for a junior developer position, it's okay to have white space on your resume. It's okay to say, I have no experience, but this is what I know, and this is what I'm good at, and this is what I've done, right? Whether it is uh, college, whether you have a CS degree or a different computer, uh, you know, computer-related degree, whether you have courses through a boot camp or, you know, something that you've done online, or whether you're a, uh, a self-taught learner, right? If you have done things on the side, um, and you, while working at Starbucks or while, in my case, I was working at the public library, uh, I did not graduate college. Uh, and after high school, I didn't, I didn't really have a, a direction on what I wanted to do. But I had been studying uh, programming for a long time and playing around with it and building video games. And for me, that was my my body of work. That was my resume. It was actually funny when, when uh, a buddy of mine introduced me to this uh, opportunity and I talked to the the hiring manager on the phone he said yeah I'd like for you to come out and you know apply for this position and when you come out to interview uh, please bring your portfolio he didn't use the word resume he were he used the word portfolio and I kind of like that looking back because you know what what hiring managers want to see is can you do this not where have you worked in the past but can you do this are you applying for a JavaScript developer position then show me your JavaScript Show me that you can do that, right? Um, you, you need you need links to your GitHub. You need links to your personal projects. You need to talk about the things that you solved, even if it's just you know theoretical problems that you solved in college. But you need to talk about the the problems that you solved, how you solved them, and really put yourself out there as I'm a developer. And then oh by the way, I have some transferable skills. I have some skills. I have worked in a dispatch where I know how to talk to people. I know how to communicate. Right? But that should be your sidebar. The things that are not specifically related to this particular position that you're applying for should be kind of bumped out of the resume or moved off to the side. It's really kind of a, there's a lot of gray area here. There's not a perfect resume, right? Really, the the, the whole purpose of a resume is just to get a conversation with an actual human being. You want to get past those autoresponders or those, those computer filters. You want to get past the whoever's taking a look at it to decide whether or not um, that that first interviewer is going to talk to you. It's just uh, a way to open the door and get that conversation. So I would say put something interesting about your skills, about your history, about the the type of code that you've worked on and, and the types of projects that you've built, even if you've never worked somewhere, and that'll get you a lot farther. Okay. <clears throat> I have a, so, a question. Go um, ahead, Eddie. Shoot. So... Uh, just like from looking at a bunch of resumes uh, recently and and going through a bunch of stuff, would you suggest putting some color in it? Because like just to have you kind of stand out. Because I mean, <laughs> yeah, um, I a, I am I'm colorblind, so um, oh, okay. I, I yeah, it's it's hard <laughs> to say. But I will tell you, like um, this is a a uh, some people are gonna love it, some people are gonna hate it, right? So if Eddie is searching through. 52 resumes, right? And they're all white with Times New Roman font and they're exactly. all kind of styled in basically the same way. Your your eyes just start kind of going and fading out, you know? And it's like the the visual equivalent of wah, 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 and you're not really <laughs> yeah. seeing the details, right? So what you're looking for is something that pops that makes you say, "Oh, wow. I like I can focus now. I can focus on something different." So as as the person who is going through the stack of of resumes, you might be looking for something that's that stands out and pops in a format and a color and a bold print and a big wild picture and, and things like that, just to break up the monotony of going through a stack of resumes. Yeah, maybe uh, not so, necessarily color, but even if you just formatted it a little differently, so that way it stands mm -hmm. out a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, on the other hand, there may be someone who, who is more... Um, visually acute or aware than I am, right? So I'm kind of the same way as you, Eddie. I'm, I'm just like, everything looks the same and I just skim through them and it's very hard for me to pick out details when I'm like have a stack of papers that I have to go through. Um, other folks, like my wife, for instance, she can spot details a million miles away. And if something is too bright or too colorful or too different from what she's used to it's going to throw her off and she's going to go wow what what are they doing here like uh why did they even try this they're trying to like sneak past me by putting in you know 
Comic Sans font or or changing the oh, layout don't do or that. something like that. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> That's a big no. Don't, right? Please <laughs> don't do that. Um, but I, I think I think you know when it comes down to it, you want to be clear. So what's what's the right format for the level of clarity that you need to have on your resume, right? So be okay with having a lot of white space. And for some stacks of resumes, that might be perfect, right? You might have. Um, more space in between the lines. You may have fewer lines and there's only a half sheet instead of a full sheet or three or four papers sta- stapled together. That might be the thing that Eddie goes, oh, wow, that's interesting. They only put like three or four lines up at the top of the page. Where's the rest of the resume? And you look at it, oh, this is a junior developer. They've got like actual no no years of experience like at a job. They've just done some stuff at school. Let me talk to this person. So I don't know. It just just kind of depends. I've heard that adding like some wild pictures or even just b- breaking up the design layout a little bit can trip up some of the the filtering programs for resume collection. Oh, okay. So don't take my advice. <laughs> well, I mean, if you can talk to somebody and hand them your resume, yeah, then great. But if you're just like submitting it into the Indeed black hole okay. and it has like a funky formatting, then it may come out kind of strange on the other end. That's true. Absolutely know your audience. Know who you're sending it to. And if you're just sending it to a mailroom sorter where there's going to be who knows what, you know, down there sorting through stacks of resumes or a computer algorithm, and you don't know which version of which algorithm they're using, then I would say keep it as generic and simple as possible. But better yet, don't do that. Don't just fire it off blindly into the ethers. Know who you're applying to and make a specific version of your resume, an instance of your resume for that position, for that hiring manager, for that uh, that funnel process to make sure that you go from uh, not being known to getting noticed to having the conversation to getting hired. So know who you're talking to, who you're targeting, and make it specifically for them. Yeah, I've heard of some people having like a plain text resume version and then also like a stylized version. Yeah, I kind of, <clears throat> excuse me, I kind of did something like that as well yeah it takes a lot more work right because you got to think about it i you know if unless you're a a a front-end developer that knows anything about design and i am not back when i wrote code if it wasn't uh in the back end it was just like horrible it was the worst worst app or worst website or worst whatever ever ever because my user experience skills are just like right it's crap <laughs> it's absolute garbage uh cuz I, I i just can't i can't see a picture in my head of of what something nice should look like and if i see nice things in the world sometimes i don't recognize them as nice because i don't know i just don't work that way but logical and and does it flow well and does it have good structure behind it um the architecture behind it that i kind of get right so um I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going to be visually appealing for other folks, but I do know that if you, you know, if you're, if you're putting too much in it, um, it's going to be, oh, I'm getting myself off track. You got to, you got to make multiple versions of it, right? So you're going to have to make a version, like you said, the plain text version uh, for just the e-readers or just the, you know, managers who want to see the plain text version. And you also maybe need to consider making one that pops or one that has a different style or something like that for that hiring manager or that filter person um, who is more visually conscious. So there was something you said before that really stuck out to me, which was um, the topic of portfolios. So when I was working with Eddie and kind of sifting through a lot of resumes and stuff, I heard somebody say like, oh, hey, have you guys seen this resume? This person actually has a portfolio and we were hiring <laughs> for like front end developers. So um, I think it's it's super important personally to me, like if you're going to go apply as a front end developer and say like, yeah, I can build websites. And then you don't have your own website. It's kind of a glaring omission. Yeah. Would you say that's the case or? Uh, well, yes, yes and no. So my wife would argue that um, our household um, has the worst technical support and, and computer software stuff in the world, <laughs> right? Because she's always asking for, you know what? I, I need an app to organize, you know, the, the kitchen laundry with the stuff and the blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm never going to get to that, right? Because I don't know. 
It's just, <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Or I, or I start on it and I get sidetracked or it, it never works and it's always breaking or something like that. So yeah, there, there is, um, it's tough to do stuff for yourself. When, you do, when you're working for somebody else, when you're building code for somebody else, when you're building their project, at the end of the day, they're going to take responsibility for what done looks like and what success looks like, right? So, um, but when you're making a project for yourself, sometimes it's hard to say, how much effort am I going to put in it? When is done done? When am I going to release this to the wild? When am I going to show people? Um, how much effort is this just an MVP and I'm just putting it together a minimum viable product or in this case, a minimum viable portfolio? Or am I really going to just spend the next six months of my life like working on this instead of applying for jobs? So there's kind of a balance somewhere. If you have the time and effort, um, make your portfolio, your resume, make your resume, your po portfolio, if it all ties together, that's going to be like super, super impressive. It is going to be the thing that stands out in that sea of plain, generic uh, resumes that Eddie's seeing, right? It's going to definitely stand out. Um, but there's like um, clear, clear warnings here. It does take a lot of effort to put that together. True. Um, but I mean, if you have like no experience and the only thing that you have to show off is your portfolio of projects, then I mean, to me, at least it, it makes sense to put the effort out there and like, while you're applying, keep making your portfolio a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. You got to put some effort into your career. You got to take responsibility for it. And, um, yeah, you gotta, you gotta put in the effort. So, so when my first hiring manager talked to me and, and told me that, let me see your portfolio, bring your portfolio. I, I freaked out because I didn't even know what he meant. I was like, what does that mean? What what does that mean? And so I talked to a buddy of mine. And he's like, oh, well, just take him some code that you've written. I'm like, well, about what? I've got a Star Wars uh, role-playing game character sheet generator. Is he going to be interested in that? Like, that's in C++. Like, I've got uh, another game where, I, I you know, I had a lot of, like, video game stuff. And because that was my passion, that's what I, you know, was doing on the side, you know, to, to learn the, the craft of software development, but also just to solve problems in my own life. Is he going to care about that? Like, what does he need? And so we, we did a little research and come to find out they used a different technology, a different um, programming language than I was used to. So then I got really stressed out. Oh my gosh, I'm applying for a job apparently that I don't even know the language that they're working in. What am I going to have to do? And so I did a lot of crunch time that weekend learning the language, learning the framework and building Pong, the old school Atari video game. Um, and that was my quote unquote portfolio for that stack. And when I showed it to him, you know, there was a lot of awkward moments where he was asking me questions about the design and why did I use Times New Roman instead of a sans serif? I had no idea what that meant. Why did I, why did I pick this color of orange for my paddles instead of, you know, something more visually appealing? And I thought I had just completely, completely failed. But at the end of the day, it was because I, I showed him, no, I can take an idea and I can code it and I can build it. And that, that uh, helped me get me that first job. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, it sounds like definitely you need to have some body of work that you can at least talk about. And if you can tailor that to the job you're applying to, like even better. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, it, I, I've said this several times, but I'm going to say it again. You have to know who you're talking to, who you're applying for. And if all possible, like make something specific for them. So uh, working for the oil and gas industry is completely different than working for the entertainment and hospitality industry. So just make sure that your, uh, your resume, your portfolio, your conversation, your language, your presentation is more geared to the person or the company that you're applying to rather than everything else that's out there in the world. Because all that other stuff is cool, but what that hiring manager or that you know lead developer or whoever else is looking at the resumes and, and doing the first round of interview, what they're looking for is, can this person fit in our, our culture? Can this person work on our projects? So definitely very important. Awesome. So moving a little bit away from like the resume and, and interview process a little bit, um, I had some some questions that came in to uh, Eddie and I for you about uh, negotiating salary. Okay, so, cool. Um, as a junior developer, like maybe it's your first job, you don't feel like you have a, a lot of experience with negotiations, or even as a, an experienced person. But um, just in general, like 
how how do you negotiate and let's say you get an offer that's like a number and do you take like a percentage of that and like come back with 10% over that or um is there some expectation on the other side for negotiation uh what what's your experience like with with that yeah that's such a great question because if you do it wrong you're not just um shooting yourself in the foot for this week this paycheck or this year but you're really hurting your long-term career and your long-term um valuation right so if you take if you take a number that's too low sure you want to get that first experience so you can have it on your resume but but from here on every time you you apply for another job and you're starting to talk to that HR person or that recruiter, they're going to ask you, what do you make at your current place? Right. And you can answer, you can refuse to answer, but still that question is out there. And what they're looking to do is to determine whether or not they can pay you what you were worth worth at your last job, not what you're actually worth in the industry. So just be aware of that. Be wary of that. And when you go in and you start talking about salaries and start negotiating, first of all, just you have to do your research. You have to know your own worth. You have to know what you're worth to different organizations. And and, and it can be wildly, wildly different, right? If you're uh, if you're interviewing at uh, your uncle's hardware store and, and he needs just a, a small website on the side, but what he really needs is somebody just to do stock all day, every day, but he wants a website kind of like on the side, but he doesn't really value it, like he may not pay what you're worth, right? Um, if you're applying to a big Fortune 100 type company, um, that has a very niche skill set in some technology that's hard, hard to find. I don't mean just JavaScript generic. I mean the latest and greatest framework that was just invented 32 seconds ago, and you are the person that built that framework, then you are going to be invaluable to that Fortune 100 company because for whatever reason, they, ha- they are investing heavily in that, in that, uh, in that technology. So know what your skills are and know what you're worth in the marketplace. And, you know, the only way that you can do that is really just talking to a lot of people. You can do some Googling, you can search around, you can look at sites like Glassdoor and things like that to see what the industry averages, um, averages are, but you're not going to really know until you talk to other people about their salaries and about um, what companies are hiring for, for certain skill sets and things like that. Um, and then, and then just be prepared to walk into those interviews and you're going to have to have your walk away numbers, right? So, um, I always, I always, um, have my, my coaching students, you know, go through a process where you, where you think about your whys, why am I doing this? Why am I applying for a job in this industry? Why am I applying for this specific job? What do I, what do I want to get out of it? And sometimes it is salary. Sometimes it is maximizing the salary. Sometimes it is getting the experience in the industry domain or the technology domain that I'm most interested in. And so I'm going to take a smaller salary. But when you get in and you start negotiating, you have to understand what your value is in the marketplace. You have to understand what your needs are, like how many bills you have and things like that. And you have to be ready to have an uncomfortable conversation, just like the the social anxiety stuff we talked about earlier. It, it goes back to that. Um, you have to be prepared to have uncomfortable conversations and just say, no, Lee, I think I'm worth more than that. You offered me X, but I think I'm worth Y. And it doesn't have to be 10% higher. It doesn't have to be 2% higher. It can be twice as high, 10 times as high, whatever. But you have to you have to know what your specific numbers are and you have to be willing to back it up. And if Lee says, I'm sorry, Chad, but uh, we can't pay that or I think that's ridiculous, then you have to be in a position where you're comfortable with saying, okay, that's fine. I, I totally respect that and I get that uh, that's going to keep me from getting this job, but that's my walk away number and you got to be prepared to walk away. Yeah, 100%. Um... As a, somebody that worked at a boot camp and had like a bunch of students um, that were going out into the workforce, I definitely like took some of them aside and said, "Hey, like you have a lot of talent, you you have skills. Don't accept anything less than like X for a number." Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I feel like there's a lot of shops out there that will kind of snap up developers and throw them on like um, maybe like an easy WordPress kind of shop or something where they're just banging out templates. 
and they pay bottom dollar for that. And right. you know, so, some of these students are like really, really good at React, um, have like that application level experience. And I, I kind of wanted to tell them like, hey, go out there and demand like a certain amount of money because I, I know that you're worth it. So um, definitely doing the research is is super helpful, I think. And that, that also helped me for um, the job that I recently took. Um, it, it was kind of a weird thing. Uh, I already had a position and whenever I got in touch with the recruiter, she, the first thing that she asked me was, what do you make currently? And I mm -hmm. said, I don't want to discuss it, <laughs> uh, yeah. but, uh, how, I actually, how did that go? So she kind of left it alone. And then I went through the rest of the process, but there definitely came a point where she's like, you have to give me a number of what you want. Mm -hmm. And I was like sweating bullets and I just ended up like kind of picking a number um, that was like somewhere in uh, the middle of like what I expected a developer to make at my level and kind of like above where I was at currently. And she was just like, OK, great. And then we'll send you an offer for that. And so I kind of felt like, ah, oh, did I undershoot it? Or, <laughs> you know, there was like no pushback. And then once I got the offer, I was like, uh, is this negotiable? She's like, nope. <laughs> nope. You, you put it out there. I mean, but, but you put an, you put an offer out there or an expectation out there that you found that was reasonable, right? So you wouldn't have said that number if that number was too low. So right. that, that a great negotiation tactic is just put out a number that's fair and be willing to accept fair. That's perfectly okay. Even if the person next to you that applies for the same position and you both go in together, right? Eddie and I both go in together and my my starting salary ask is, is uh, let's say 5,000 under what Eddie's is and we both get hired. Well, that's on me, right? That's not on Eddie. That's not on the company. That's on me for being willing to accept that number. So you have to know what you're worth and you have to be able to say, um, this is it and be comfortable with if they say, okay, that's fine, that you know that you're within their range, but there, there might have been some more that you could get, but you're going to learn that, uh, take away that lesson for next time. Yeah. Whenever um, I first got in touch with her, I asked her like, hey, what's the pay band for this position? And she kind of threw out like, um, I forget what it was, like 45 to 50 something. And I was already making like better than that. And so um, I didn't want to throw out a number at that point because I felt like I may price myself out of the job. And so right. um, I went, I wanted to go through the process and like get to the technical people and like show them my skill set before I started talking numbers. Yeah, it, that you took the right approach. You don't want to talk numbers early on because that's what that's going to do is potentially weed yourself out of a great opportunity where you're awesome at it. And if they're just looking on paper, they may not know how awesome you are. They're just looking at that. Wow, he's only got... Um, you know, one year of experience hands-on at another place, or he just graduated boot camp and he's already asking for X, Y, Z, who does he think he is, right? And they're going to potentially shut you down right there. But if you get in, you know, the conversation from the very beginning is not about salary. It's about what that company is trying to accomplish and how can you help them accomplish those goals. And the more goals that you can accomplish, the bigger goals that you can help them succeed at, the more value you're going to bring to the company. And it's not always about your technical skills. A lot of times it's about your technical skills plus your soft skills, right? Plus your leadership skills. If you come in as a person who just exudes confidence and you have, yeah, you have solved XYZ problems, but you know that you can solve the problem that they're working on right now because you've already got a plan in your head for how to do it. And if that fails, then you're going to solve it a different way. And better than that, you're going to motivate everyone around you to step up and, and improve their game and get better. If you can do that, then you're, it's, it's not just about your JavaScript. It's about the full package and having those conversations and being able to um, express that in the interviews and in the conversations. It's going to immediately increase your value and, yeah, so so delaying that conversation about salary until the very end is an awesome, awesome tip and strategy for for any developers, not just not just junior developers, but any developers could could use that. Yeah, I uh, I had a 
a mentor that said, um, the first person to give out a number loses or something like that. So I was just trying to hold on to it for as long as possible. Uh, until she literally said, like, we cannot proceed until you give us a number. <laughs> so um, that that's kind of where my head was at for that. I don't even know if that's really solid advice. but um, uh, I don't know. I, I Just right offhand, I'll have to think about it a little bit. But right offhand, I don't necessarily agree with it. I don't think that the person who starts with a number um, is going to be the loser. Um, because think of like a, a transaction with uh, a different type of transaction, right? So think of going into a car dealership. They have a number printed right there on the, the sticker, right? So they are giving you the first number and now it's up to you to come in and challenge that number. So if you if you start the negotiation with a number, um, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to lose. It may mean that you're going to win. You're going to put yourself out there. You're going to differentiate differentiate yourself from everybody else who's applying, right? Because if everybody else is like, well, I don't know, I'm not sure. What do you pay? And they say 10 bucks an hour. And they're like, oh, wow, 10 bucks an hour. Gosh, I don't know if I can do that or not. But if you come in and you say, I'm worth $100,000, you know, that may, that may shut them down and say, okay, thanks for your time. See ya. Or they may go, whoa, okay. Okay, why why do you think you're worth a hundred thousand dollars? And you know, it starts a different conversation, and you know, potentially in their mind, it could go one of two different ways. It could elevate your position to like I am not coming in as the as the you know Pinto. I am the Escalade, right? I am mm-hmm. a much higher valued brand here. Uh, I don't I don't know cars, so I can't I can't go into a lot of <laughs> <laughs> car stuff, you know. But but I'm a I'm a much better car. I have better engine, I have, you know, leather seats, I have, you know, all the bells and whistles uh, that I'm coming with. It's not just about my JavaScript, it's about my leadership, my communication, it's it's about everything. That's why I'm worth that number, because I know that I can solve those type of problems. I can solve the $100,000 problems. I can solve the $500,000 problems. That's why I'm worth it, right? Cool. Um, as far as interviews go, um, I think there's there's probably a lot of advice out there for that but one thing that i wanted to to ask was um when you're kind of flipping the interview um so they ask you a bunch of technical questions they ask you a bunch of behavioral stuff and they say do you have any questions for us yeah Uh, i feel like that's a critical part of an interview and I'm, i'm curious to to hear what kind of questions maybe you would you would advise that you know somebody would ask on that Absolutely. And I'm glad you brought this up because it's it's missed a lot. I see a lot of people. I've interviewed so many people where I get to the end, we get to the end of the conversation, it's going pretty good. And I say, do you have any questions? And like probably 90% of the respondents say, nope, you've already answered everything. And maybe that's because I have been there, done that, and I have been hands-on and been technical. And so I can anticipate a lot of the questions and I kind of have an FAQ that I spiel out at the beginning of the interview to answer just a lot of, hey, this is the stack and this is the team culture and this is, you know, the project size and scope and things like that. Um, But there's probably for each of those individuals, there was one or two questions that was very key for their specific circumstances that they left unsaid because they didn't think about it or they didn't think it was appropriate or they were uncomfortable asking the question or just whatever, whatever happened. Um, But what is that question is very, very specific to the individual, right? It may mean, hey, every Friday I have a, I have an engagement with my daughter and I take her out to lunch, you know, but, but her school is across town and uh, it's going to take me an extra uh, hour, two hours to make the drive. So on Fridays, I'm going to need to be able to work from home is, you know, can we talk about that? Or, you know, a different situation may be, you know, uh, okay, this is the tech stack that you're working on right now, but I'm a person who's chasing the latest and greatest. I always want to push the envelope and I want to, um, you know, even if I'm just starting my career, I'm working on, I, I will take this job because you're working on XYZ framework and that sounds cool and I want to learn that. But I also, I see this coming down the industry pipeline and I want to get there. Is there a chance to do that? Like, when would you guys adopt that? Are you early adopters or late adopters? Um, asking questions about the management style. Okay, how do you how do you deal with conflict at work? If if myself and another individual uh, had something that needed to be resolved and we couldn't resolve it between the two of us, what would you do about that? How do you handle you know other situations? Um, keep in mind that this is always a two way interview. It is always a it's it's like a it's like going out on a date you know it's it's building a relationship 
between yourself and a company, yourself and a hiring manager, yourself and another organization. And it has to be mutually beneficial. It's not just about numbers. It's not just about money. It's about the the tangible and intangible things that's going to make you excited to come to work and excited to work for this manager, excited to work at this company. Or it's going to be the little nitpicking, naggy things that just drive you crazy day to day and you can't wait to get out of there and move on to the next thing, right? So so just be clear going into it and and come up with your own personal questions throughout the interview of of uh, you know what what you care about, what you're passionate about, and that's really um, different on an individual by individual basis. So I I definitely agree. Um, hundred percent, you need to interview them back because you're trying to figure out if this is a good fit for you as well, because you don't want to be two months into this thing and be miserable. Right. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a new developer, um, I always ask, uh, how they deal with whenever they get stuck. So if I'm programming something and I, I'm blocked, I can't figure out what to do next. Like I want to know what their process is for that. And if they have anything in place, like, is there a person I can talk to? Do you guys do code reviews? Like, is there like what opportunities for mentorship are there? Um, that, that stuff is super important to me as a junior developer. So every time that I, you know, have the opportunity to be in an interview, I, I always ask that. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the the point about mentorship because that is a huge one to me. Um, not just junior developers, but across your career, um, your, your, your goal as as a person who's focusing on improving their career is to constantly, you know, elevate yourself, elevate yourself, elevate your skill sets, elevate your uh, communication style, your confidence, your social skills, your leadership skills, elevate yourself so that you can get paid more and you can have better opportunities and you can have better jobs and you have more abundance, more opportunities come to you, coming to you. And the best way to do that is, uh, you know, take a position that stretches you a little bit and makes you have to really work for it and really earn it, but also make sure that there are systems in place for mentorship, for, uh, you know, uh, some some sort of mentorship, whether it is from somebody that's in a more senior position, you know, in your tract or mentorship from someone outside of your tract or outside of your position. For instance, there was a, there was a period where um, I worked at one company for 14 years and it was a really, really long time. But throughout that, every couple of years, I would just internally look for a different mentor. And sometimes it was in the IT department, in the software development department. Sometimes it was outside of IT, outside of software development, uh, someone in the industry, right, who was more of kind of in my customer space. Hey, teach me more about, you know, the the type of stuff that my customer tells me about or, or cares about. Teach me about what what's in my customer's mindset so that I can be a better developer, uh, a better software development leader, uh, to be able to solve their problems more efficiently instead of just worrying about the latest and greatest code, but I can solve the types of problems that they really care about, care about because I know their jobs better than all the other developers here around me. So yeah, constantly look for some way to um, elevate your skills in one area or the other. Identify a part of yourself that you want to improve and then challenge that uh, interviewer to like, hey, how are you going to do to help me? I want to I want to work on my JavaScript here, but I also want to learn C-sharp.net. So I know you guys are a C-sharp.net shop. You're hiring for a JavaScript front-end job, but I also want to learn some of the back-end code, or I want to learn Java, or I want to learn whatever, React Native. So how are you going to help me learn that? I want to I wanna lead teams in the future. I want to be a manager sometime in the future. How are you going to help me do that? So whatever it is that you want to take as your second, third, fourth steps in your career, look for uh, a company that's going to help you get there. Awesome advice. Um, so we usually close out the show with uh, what we like to call Nerd Minute. I know we're, <laughs> nice. uh, we're running out of time. So um, you mentioned before that you're a huge Star Wars fan, uh, or at least <laughs> yes. I took it to be the case because all your projects sounded like they dealt with Star Wars. Uh, yeah, I'm actually looking uh, right above my monitor here. I've got the Death Star, I've got the Millennium Falcon, I've got Vader, <laughs> awesome. got a big Star Wars sign. I'm just surrounded by Star Wars. The Force is strong with this office. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, have you seen the the latest Star Wars trailer for uh, the 
uh, what's it called? The Rise of Star- Skywalker. I yeah. Think. Uh, yeah. I, I saw the the teaser trailer. I don't know that I've seen the uh, if there's been a new one since then. But I, I saw think the it's teaser just trailer. the the one with the ray jumping over the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the Tie Fighter. Yeah, I've seen that one. Uh-huh. Okay. So where where are you at? Are you a fan of the latest trilogy? Are you happy where it's going? Or what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you know, I am a fan. Um, I like where it's going. I like where it's headed because it's a. You know, when when the prequel trilogy came out, um, I'm trying to think of how old I was. That was Oof. in the mid '90s, right? '99. Um, yeah, '99. Okay, so in '99, I was um, just moving from like a junior developer to more of an intermediate um, senior developer, somewhere in there. And um, when I had first experienced Star Wars, it was you know as as a little bitty kid, four year old, and then a seven-year-old and then a whatever, uh, a 10-year-old when, when the first series came out. And that was so iconic, first of all, because it's a better story. Second of all, because it's <laughs> better acting. And third of all, b- because it was a great fit for me in that point in my life, right? Um, and, and it was awesome. And then when the prequel came out, it just, for me, just killed it. Just, uh, it just crushed my <laughs> hopes and dreams of Star Wars. And it was almost where I gave up on the whole series. I gave up on the whole st- saga there for a little bit because it just, it, I felt so betrayed and so ruined, you know? Um, after some reflection, I thought, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to take back a little bit of that hate. <laughs> I'm going to take a little bit back, going to take back a little bit of the dark side on, on the prequel because, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think I was the target audience. I don't think me, the super fan who grew up with it, was probably the target audience for the prequel trilogy. I think it was the other four-year-olds and seven-year-olds and ten-year-olds, yeah. right? And so when I look at my – I've got some nephews, and, and one of my nephews became a Star Wars fan during the prequel uh, trilogy when it was on the theaters, right? Because it was new and it was awesome and it spoke his language in the time that he was in, right? And and I think there's a lot of new Star Wars fans that were first introduced during the prequel trilogy, whereas the old school guys like me were just kind of like, oh, heartbroken. It felt like I got a lightsaber right through my heart, right? <laughs> uh, and then somebody just swirled it up right there in the middle. But but it 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 got us a lot of new fans and it made the Star Wars universe stronger as a whole because there's a lot more uh, fans like me or or fans that are now like me who are passionate about Star Wars who want to um, buy the stuff and build the theme parks and go to you know all the next movies and stuff. So when I look at the the Ray trilogy, um, it is different. It is really really different than everything else. There are, I think it's done a lot better than the prequel is. Oh, um, definitely. definitely. You, yeah. you, you can't, you can't go much more low than that, right? So it's, <laughs> yeah, no it's Jar-Jar, definitely no better than that. Dialogue. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it's, but to me personally, it'll never be the classic. It'll never be as good as, as the original was, but I'm not going to judge everything to that standard, right? Because that standard is not just uh, like a movie quality standard. It's my own personal um, it's my past, you know, it's, it's me playing with a millennium Falcon with my buddies out in the dirt and the grass in the country. Right. And having the little, the little action figures, you know, go to war and, and rescue, uh, Han when he was frozen in carbonite, um, that it was, it was, it represents my childhood and you can't take that away and you can't replace that with new characters and, and new scenes. Um, there are portions of it that I think is like, eh, I'm not so sure. And there are portions of it. I'm like, holy crap, that was awesome. That is amazing. Um, wow. They're really taking this in a different direction. And so I'm excited to see the new one. Yeah, my uh, I have some older kids, so they were introduced to um, Star Wars like in that prequel time, and those are their favorite, which just always blows me away. <laughs> because like to me, like Luke and Yoda on Dagobah, like that is like I can quote that all day long, and that's exactly. what I think about all the time. Whenever I think about Star Wars, and to them, it's like they like Darth Maul, they like the crazy lightsaber stuff from the prequels. So uh, I, I think you you hit the nail on the head with that. Well, the first one's yeah, they, a they, kids they... movie basically but but yeah, with a exactly. lot of politics yeah yeah it, it, i guess yeah just i guess push that You're stuff talking about aside. the prequels right yeah the first prequel movie it feels like a kid's movie 
It is yeah. a kid's movie. It's it's made for kids. It's made mm. for kids to introduce them to the Star Wars universe, to get them excited about it so that they'll want to um, dress up at Halloween and they'll want to collect all the collectibles and they'll want to play with it and then keep them engaged and entertained for the next couple of years until the next one comes out. Yeah. And they nailed it. They did an awesome job of of that little little annoying Anakin going, I can do a, a pod racing now or whatever he said, you know? And all the little kids are like, yeah, I'm a pod racer too. And I'm like, oh God, kids, you guys are hosed. I'm sorry, but this is the world, this is the world that you're growing up in where, uh, you know, annoying Anakin is, is your hero as opposed to annoying Luke, you know? Yeah, right. I'm going right. to the... the Tashi Station, pick up some power converters. You know, the annoying Luke was was my hero back in the day, and and uh, now that these kids got annoying, I don't know. It's just different, <laughs> different world we live in. Yeah, I'm I'm a little like I'm sad that Luke was written out of the trilogy in like the second Maybe. movie, and then not included in the first one pretty much at all. Uh, like, oh, by the me, way, spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, it's been how long now, right? <laughs> But uh, I mean, the Nerd Minute has always kind of been a little spoilery. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sorry if I ruined that for anybody. Uh, but uh, for me, it's always been about like Luke's story and kind of like his lineage. And now they're calling it Rise of Skywalker, but they wrote him out of it. I mean, as far as I know, it'll be interesting. Yeah. So I, I don't know if they're gonna like tie Ray into the lineage or if what what the 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 vision is. But I'm kind of wary, but excited at the same time. Yeah, I don't know. I still have hopes, you know, when when uh, Kylo Ren said, oh, you know who your parents are? They were junk dealers. They were nothing. They were basically meth heads that, that dropped you off and left you. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that there's like a, yeah, he was BS, right? He was wrong. He was just saying that just to kind of get under your skin. I'm hoping there's something else. There's some, even, even if she's not a Skywalker, whatever happens, but I'm hoping there's some sort of tie into the, the Skywalker lineage at some point where it's not just about um, you know, Ben Kenobi Skywalker person who turned to the dark side, but just going to redeem himself at the very last minute when he has to save the universe against, you know, the Emperor again and just make it uh, another Return of the Jedi. That would be a little disappointing, but I don't right. know. We'll see. Cool. So um, I think we're about out of time, but uh, I still want to give you a chance to just kind of talk about um, your own website and your own podcast. So if you want to shamelessly plug that... Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm always <laughs> I'm always ready ready to shamelessly plug my own stuff. So if you guys are software developers who are trying to um, get your first jobs, if you're if you're struggling with the process, some people are just like like Lee and Eddie, and they're just on top of it, and they're like, yeah, I'm going to start my own meetup group, and I'm going to you know build a bunch of different resumes and apply to a bunch of different companies, and I'm going to be very strong about uh, how I'm going to negotiate um, my salaries. Those folks are awesome and that's amazing, but that's not all of us, right? If you're like me and you struggle with the anxiety side of it, if you struggle with not knowing what to do next, if you just need a little bit more hand-holding, a little bit more help in getting to that next level and to take that next action and identify what that next next action is you need to take on, if you just need a career coach in your corner to help you out and to give you permission to do the things that are uncomfortable and hard, that's what I'm here for. So I help software developers improve their soft skills so that they can get better jobs, make more money, and have a bigger impact on the teams that you're going to serve. And I do that at the Career Design Patterns podcast, which can be found at careerdesignpatterns.com. And uh, there's also an academy, an elite group of, of uh, coaching clients that I hope I help there as well if you if you really need some extra help. But uh, otherwise, you go to careerdesignpatterns.com, and I would love to help if I can. Awesome. Um, I did, I'll just throw out there that I did listen to a couple episodes of the Career Design Patterns podcast, uh, particularly the ones where you helped out, um, I believe his name was Brian. Yeah. And I don't know what the advice was between his original <laughs> mock interview and the second one, but... Uh, there was some magic involved, um, I'm certain, uh, because he had a huge transformation. So I think you did uh, a fantastic job of giving him some pointers. So, well, you know, it's out there that that advice is out there, and it's it's available for free. So if you're if you're if uh, Lee, you're interested, or if your audience is interested, go to careerdesignpatterns.com/slash/interview. 
careerdesignpatterns.com slash interview. There you can get the the episode uh, one and two that that uh, Lee heard, and you can hear the um, the advice that that I gave him. And I actually had a like a special guest with me on that first interview. We gave him some advice. Um, there's the transcript if you don't have time to to listen to it, but you more want to read it. Everything is transcribed, so you can just read it at your leisure and, and really see those key points that uh, that we gave to Brian to help him. And you know what? I don't have it up there on the site, but um, Brian's actually uh, an academy member and a, and a coaching client of mine, and he came back for a second, third time. We had multiple conversations, and man, by the fourth time he did his interview, he was just like a completely different person. Practice makes perfect. And the more practice you put into interviewing, the better you're going to get. And that that fourth time, he did amazing. And right after that fourth call, he immediately dropped into his, his actual interview, did so well at that, that we went through some additional uh, uh, negotiation, salary negotiation stuff. He not only got the job offer that he was looking for, but he got them to increase the starting salary by $15,000. Wow. And I was just like, whoa, wow. you That's killed awesome. it, man. That's awesome. So yeah, Brian's a rock star. And, and uh, it started because he knew that he needed a little help and he stepped up and, and he took massive action. Everything that I told him, everything that, uh, that uh, Joe told him in that interview, like he took it to heart and he practiced it and he worked on it offline and he came back and practiced it again and he did so much better. And, you know, that's what it's going to have to take for, for all of us in whatever pursuits that we, you know, shoot for. Yeah, I, I only heard the, uh, I guess, the second interview, not the third or fourth. Um, but he was dynamite on that. Um, the first one, he was like all stutters and uh, mm, mm, didn't really know how to present himself. Right. And his just his even his like, hey, tell me about yourself. His introduction in the second one was like it just rolled and he was like, hey, I've got experience in X, Y, and Z. I'm a, you know, a developer of this many years experience and I've worked with this, that, and the other thing. And it was, um, I would have hired him if I was hiring him. <laughs> he, <laughs> nice. he, was, he was amazing. So uh, you did an excellent job there. And uh, I think I will. I think I'm going to shoot over to the website and um, and check out that advice. Yeah, and, I think uh, I'm going to advise everybody, that too. everybody to check that out as well. Yeah, Eddie, you would love it because he is, he's obviously like very nervous and anxious. Yeah. And just kind of falls all over himself. Um, answering the questions and in the second one like chad even took a uh like a kind of bullheaded manager um personality <laughs> and he he yeah. just crushed it. it it was amazing cool so yeah i'm gonna listen to that definitely check it out all right so um uh we're, we're just gonna wrap it up there thanks for okay. listening everybody definitely check out uh chad's site careerdesignpatterns.com thanks chad and yeah thank you so so much for coming onto the show chad Thanks, Eddie. Thanks, Lee. I really appreciate it. It was an awesome experience getting to uh, join you on uh, this call today. And um, anytime you want me back or want to talk more, I'm here for you. Let me know what I can do to help. 100%. Cool. Thank you very much. All Thanks, right. guys. Thanks. Bye. Take care. Thank you for listening to Tech Junior. For show notes, past episodes, and more, head on over to our website at techtech juniorjr.dev You can also follow us on Twitter at Tech Junior Podcast. You can follow Eddie at ED0TER0 and me at Lee Warwick Jr. If you're feeling generous, leave us a like or a review on your favorite podcast app or player. Every little bit helps. Alright, we will see you next week on Tech Junior. Thanks for listening.